Yeah. I don't remember what chapter that was. Well, really, I mean, the Timothys are both kind of Paul giving Timothy advice on how to pastor the church at Ephesus because that was his, that's what he was doing. So I'm not really I'm just saying that's kind of what they're both about. You've got Timothy who was, you know, hanging out with Paul for years, seeing how Paul did stuff. But Timothy had, at least from what we can tell, kind of a different nature than Paul. He was more of a pastor than he was an apostle. And so eventually Paul was like, all right, I want you to stay here and pastor this church. And it was the Ephesus church. And then Paul's still doing his thing, and he's sending letters back to Timothy. How's it going? Here's some, here's some thoughts. And Timothy's sending things back. Well, what do I do about this? Etc. Yeah. So in Paul, we see over and over again, not just with Timothy, but over and over again, we see this beautiful picture of what it looks like to raise up, you know, to disciple people and to raise up leaders and to, you know, it's that whole uh, watch me do it, do it with me, then do it while I'm watching, and now you're good. You know, that thing. Does that make sense to everybody? Which is kind of the process here and now, I hope. I hope. You know. The book of Jude is confusing, though, and and difficult. And I mean, we can let's just tackle Jude today, why don't we? It'll be fun. Why not? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Sounds like fun to me. Let's do Jude. Let's do it. We're doing this. You just picked it because it's part of your name. No, that's not why. Kind of. Not, not entirely. Okay. <laughs> and I, I will say to you that I haven't read the book of Jude in a while, and I have no notes on the book of Jude. So everything that's going to come out right now is going to be pretty raw. But this is what it looks like to be instant in season and out, which is what Paul tells Timothy to do. <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll... Oh, beautiful Abba, Father, we thank you for your presence in this room. We acknowledge the fact that you've been here all along, that you are always present and at work. In every life in this room, you're doing something. In every heart in this room, you're saying something. Even now, even in when, when we're not listening, when we're not quite paying attention, So, Father, my prayer is that I would be able to effectively partner with what you are doing right now. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive to your movement, to your leadership. Make us aware of your voice. Amen. Amen.
So there's some interesting stuff in this book that I'm kind of excited about going after. We get we get to maybe talk a little bit about Nephilim today. Yeah. Wow. All right. Woo. Okay. So. Well, they're they're only in a couple places in scripture. They're only in four or five places in scripture. But they're there, so we can't just ignore them. Because it's weird. It's weird. This is a weird topic. It's very odd, and it's very like, I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, if, if you're on YouTube for even five minutes, you're going to find somebody who spends their entire ministry talking about Nephilim. So. <laughs> it's great. Okay, so let's read. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Well, that uh, That's... That could be our whole time, just that first, first sentence. Um, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is something uh, Paul also calls himself. Um, and uh, the picture is of someone who has been voluntarily enslaved to someone else. It wasn't... Uh, it wasn't. It didn't happen by force. No one came along and said, "Now you're my slave." It is, um, although that might be how it began. Bond slavery exists as where where at some point along the journey, whether they were involuntary slaves first or not, they have made a decision that my life will be bound to yours, and so they would do this thing where they would they would. Take an awl. Do you know what an awl is? Okay, it's a wooden instrument with a pointy end. And they would walk over to the doorpost of the house and they would stick the awl through their ear into the doorpost. Okay? And that was a symbolic joining of my life to this household. Does that make sense? I am now connected to this household. But it was voluntary. They would say, I... I don't want to see the way the way that slavery worked in both the Old Testament and the New in Jewish culture. There's lots of different varieties of it, but specifically in Jewish culture, it was usually, okay, you're going to be my slave until you pay off a specific debt. Okay, like you owe me money. So now you're going to work for me and I'm not going to pay you until whatever you owe me has been paid off. Does that make sense? So. You borrowed money from me, and now you're going to work to pay it off. You ate and you didn't pay, so you have to do the dishes. It's that kind of thing. And it was a temporary agreement, although it would last for a long time. And there were lots of things connected into it, bound into it. The Old Testament has lots of rules about slavery, which is one of the reasons why there's a lot of atheists that kind of point at the Old Testament rules about slavery and say, see, your, your God or your Bible says that slavery is okay. That's not what it says. What it says is we know there's, what the Bible says is, okay, there's this institute out there called slavery. Um, and there was a lot of abuses that went on inside of this institute called slavery, but it was a part of the, uh, the, the, the culture that they existed in. So instead of eradicating the institute which probably would have been just rejected out of hand by God's people. We can't do that. How would we do all these things? God came in and put in boundaries so that slaves would not be mistreated. 
Okay? He came in and made rules around it and said, if you're going to have slaves, which I'd rather you didn't, but if you're going to have slaves, you have to treat them like a family member. You have to treat them kindly. You have to treat them like a human being. They aren't subhuman. So anyway, there's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of interesting things along that. But bond slavery was this further thing where they said, uh, okay, our initial slavery contract is over, but I enjoy working for you. I'm connected to this house. Sometimes it would be because another one of the slaves of the house, what, they were married to them or whatever. There was lots of reasons why they would do it. But the idea was, so I'm never going to leave. I, I, we're going to extend our contract indefinitely. Does this make sense to everybody? So that's that's what bond slavery is. It's important that we understand that because we've got Paul and we have Jude who are saying, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ, which is saying my, my servanthood of Jesus is continued indefinitely. I've been connected to his house, which is awesome. I used to, when I was you know younger and foolish, I used to think uh, that I would get a, an earring up here and, you know, just so I could say it was a bond slave of Jesus. Because that's what they would do is they would put an earring in that the hole that they made in their ear. And that was a sign to everyone that they were a bonded slave. And that, yeah, they were protected by, you know. So I thought about that, but then I thought about it again. Um, so I didn't do that. There's nothing wrong with earrings if you have, if, you know, men, women. It doesn't matter if you have earrings. It's fine. Big, no big deal. It doesn't matter. But uh, I just... You know, decided not to do it. Um, just like I have a tattoo, but then like after I became a pastor, I was like, I don't think I'll get another one. Just because it would stir controversy. You know what I mean? Like, what? That make me want to get more. I just. Who can I offend today? I don't necessarily. I don't think there's a reason to be on I don't think there's a reason to be intentionally controversial. Agreed. At least on things that aren't that important. When we talk about... Now, I will gladly be intentionally controversial when the, the majority of the body of Christ believes something that is biblically untrue. I would gladly be intentionally controversial on those. But even in that kind of a situation, I want to do it lovingly. I want to speak truth but I want to do it with compassion and with the full recognition that I'm not better than anybody who believes differently than me. So anyway, so I don't know why we went there for a minute, but Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James. Now the James that he's talking about is not the brother of John. There's two Jameses. So you don't get confused. There is James, the brother of John. Okay. Who was one of the original 12 disciples who walked around with Jesus. Okay, that was James. And he was killed very early. He was one of the earliest martyrs of the church. Okay. Then there is the James, who's actually the the brother of Jesus, son of Joseph. Good morning. Welcome back. The brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph, obviously not the son of God, but the son of Joseph, And Jude is another brother of James and Jesus. But Jude decides not to mention his his blood relationship with the Lord, which might be, you know, humility. I don't know. Might not. 
He does mention that he's the brother of James, who was kind of who was the leader of the church in in Jerusalem in the early uh, days of of the church. So, um, in fact, and kind of becomes an opponent to Paul in a little bit of a way uh, later on because they're kind of like James thought the church should be more Jewish, Paul thought that the church should be more Gentile, and so there was this tug of war. Isn't it nice to know that even like within a, within 50 years of Jesus' death, the church was already fighting? <laughs> Don't you feel good about that? I mean, I do. I, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> or not. Maybe that's depressing. Are you guys awake this morning? <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway, so yeah, that's all through Paul's letters, and it's fascinating. There was this kind of power struggle between the two of them, which is one of the reasons I believe why the book of James does sound so much different than Paul's letters. If you read them, in fact, Martin Luther loved Paul and he hated James. He wanted to remove James from the Bible for his church because he was all about grace alone through faith alone. And James has this stuff about works and he's just like, yuck, I don't like that stuff. We're just going to get rid of that book. He didn't do it. Because you can't. But he thought about it. And there's definitely been times when I've read James and said, Shut up, James! Are you guys awake this morning? Everybody, this is just, this is what happens when there's no sugar. Yeah, there's no caffeine. This is what happens when there's no meat. You're all just weak and anemic. (laughs) Come on, it's only been a week. Or has it been two? You're a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I really don't feel bad. You're going to be I, fine. No, I'm just chill. You're going to make it. I'm just more relaxed. You know? Okay. For sure. Uh, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Okay, somebody help me out. What does that mean? Those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. What does it mean? Let's start with the start at the beginning. Those who are called. What does that mean? Let's not be silent. Come on. Those who are called Okay. Uh, keep going. It's from the Greek kletos, which we called to call or to summon, not kletos. Although that might, it might, it might be. I mean, that may be what kletos means. You know, every name has a meaning. Maybe kletos means called. I mean, okay. Divinely called focuses on God's general call, i.e. the call invitation he gives to all people so all can receive his salvation. God desires every person to call out to him and receive his salvation. First Timothy 2, 4, and 5. Unfortunately, many choose not to, but all can, and all, but all don't, but all can call out to God for his mercy. So, um, yeah, this, this, this word called to those who are called. So this isn't called to ministry, right? 
that's how we use the word called in our modern parlance, right? Is It's like, are you called? I felt called. And we mean called to ministry. But that's not what it means. And by the way, there isn't any place in the New Testament where the word called means called to ministry. Not one. <laughs> not one. So whenever you read it, do not allow any preacher to tell you that that refers to your call to ministry because it doesn't. It refers to the call of Jesus to himself to be saved. Okay. Beloved in God, the father, that should be easy. Okay. And kept for Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Kept. Does it mean sanctified? The Greek says to watch over or to guard, tareo. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kept. There's several places where in the New Testament this kind of language is used for those of us that belong to Jesus Christ. Kept. Kept. Okay. Guarded, watched <laughs> over. And it's this picture of God protecting us from ourselves and from the world and keeping us in Christ Jesus. We're, we're you know, pretty good at uh, walking right out of Christ Jesus. Right? Ain't we? <laughs> pretty good at But this is the God who jumps in front of us and says, no, no. He's sustaining us. He's keeping us. He's drawing us back to Jesus all the time. It's the Holy Spirit pulling us in all the time. How many times have you started to walk away and the Lord kind of goes, nope, and brings you right back? How many times has that happened? How many times have you started to walk away and the whole time you're hearing the Holy Spirit going, stop, don't keep going, come back, and doing everything he can do to get your attention to bring you back, and you ignore, 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 and keep walking and keep walking, keep walking. Go. Nice. So, as a younger child, there's a video game that my friends and I used to play called MX versus ATV. It's really nothing special. I mean, it's dirt bikes versus like four wheelers and three wheelers kind of thing. Anyways, in the map, if you go off the map for a certain distance, you're clearly off the map. If you continue to go off the map, eventually you'll hit an invisible wall that'll send you flying right back to the middle of the map. So you go flying through the air and then crash and burn, and then sure. you're right back where you started. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or when you're playing Black Ops and you run off the map and it's like you have five seconds to get back to the map and then it kills you, right? God's nicer than that, thankfully, right? <laughs> but the, just the warning of the Holy Spirit, whoa, okay? And when we talk about stuff like blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about stuff like having a seared conscience, when we talk about stuff like people who have fallen away from the faith, we need to recognize the reality that anyone who walks away from God consciously has had to fight him the whole way. And there's people that might say to you, oh, I just lost my faith, like somebody flipped a switch. But that's not true. 
And if they would go back and examine that journey, it start it had a beginning point. And there was a whole lot of wrestle in between where God was saying, don't go. This is something that I say to everyone. Like I would sit down and say this to um, people that I saw wrestling with doubt. People that I saw wrestling with questions. (coughs) Kids that I saw that were kind of like leaving high school and kind of stepping into, you know, what's next. and, And they're kind of getting hit in the face with all of these realities they hadn't thought about before and things are confusing and things are difficult and I would say to them it is okay to have doubts because it absolutely is it's okay (laughs) to ask questions because it absolutely is but give God the opportunity to answer them for you give God the opportunity to wrestle this with you because what usually happens and what I've seen happen a thousand times is by the way this almost always happens to people immediately after they leave master's commission as well so Get ready for that, okay? Is they get hit with this headwind. They've stepped out from under the protection of parent or master's commission or whatever, and now they get hit with this headwind of the enemy just And all of a sudden, they've got all these questions and they have no answers, and they have opportunity to sin that they did not have before. So they use the questions and the doubts as an excuse to engage in foolish behavior. And then foolish behavior does what foolish behavior always does, and it entraps them, and they become addicted, or they become so guilt-ridden that they think they can't ever come back to Jesus, or they get somebody pregnant, or they themselves get pregnant. And then they get so far off the map that coming home feels almost impossible. And I would say to you, that doesn't happen quickly. That's a process. Recognize the process. Engage in the process. Sense the drawing of the Holy Spirit to keep you in Christ. And don't ignore what the Holy Spirit's saying to you in those moments. It is really easy to... It's why I say it's really easy. It's not. But it's... that's something that we choose to do quite often where we know the Holy Spirit's speaking and we're just like, oh, no, he's not speaking. The problem is that the next time he speaks, it's going to be harder to hear him than it was the first time. Because you've stuffed a bunch of stuff in your ears. Does that make sense? Kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Amen. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Okay. So now we know why this letter is being written. We're not even entirely sure who this letter was written to. A church somewhere. Okay. And apparently there was a movement going on. There were things going on inside of this church where people were beginning (coughs) to uh, take the message of the grace of God and turn it into license 
into licentiousness. You see how those two words are related to each other? The idea is, because God forgives, I can go do whatever I want and it's okay. Woo! Now see, I hate that phrase. Really? Yes. I'll tell you why. He said hyper grace. I'll tell you why. Because you don't get more hyper grace than Paul. <laughs> okay. Go ahead and read the Bible. Okay. Hyper grace. Grace is not our problem. License is our problem. And don't point it. Don't point at license and say that they're that they have that they're living out of grace. They're not. The grace of God is what empowers us to live like Jesus. It's not what gives us permission to live like the devil. And we have to recognize that. And when people start to put a, like a name on this thing, this stupid teaching that says that, you know, uh, because God forgives, it doesn't matter what we do. That is not grace. And we have to be careful with our words because we don't have very many. And if you start making words mean something that they don't actually mean, then you're robbing all of us of the use of that word. Does that make sense? So please don't call it hyper grace because that makes people believe that a little bit of grace is good, but a lot of grace is bad. Bull crap! I want all the grace I can get. Give me hyper grace. I want hyper, hyper grace. I also love <laughs> cheap grace. That's a great one. Here's the deal. Grace isn't cheap. It's free. Okay? To you. To the receiver, grace is free. And it is always free or it's not grace. Because that's what grace means. Unmerited favor. You didn't earn this. It's free. And if it's not free, it's not grace. So stop calling it cheap grace, okay? Because that's bullcrap. What you are talking about is license. What you're talking about is rebellion. What you are talking about is not attempting to follow Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Are, are we all on the same page? Okay. And that is what Jude is writing to talk about. Jude is saying to them, Listen, you need to understand that the grace of God is given to you to make you like Christ. It sets you free from the power of sin. You no longer have to worry about the lists of rules and whatever. No, you just have to say, there's Jesus. I'm going to follow him. And if at any point the gospel message becomes, I'm free to do whatever I want and Jesus doesn't care, then you have not heard the, me the gospel message. Okay. It happened in the early church and it happens today where people start saying, you know, God's all forgiving. So just go do whatever you want. Well, that's, that's not what this is about. God absolutely is all forgiving. Absolutely no question to those that actually want to be forgiven. 
But people that are living licentiously have no desire to be forgiven. They want to, they want to avoid hell. Don't get me wrong, but they don't want to be forgiven. Because forgiveness is all about reconciliation. And these people obviously want to have nothing to do with God because they're not acting like him in any way, shape, or form. Does this make sense? You guys are so quiet today. They've taken the beautiful thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have taken one piece out of it and begun to worship that piece and not Jesus. I had some friends years ago who were kind of walking into a hyper-grace kind of thing. I just told you not to call it that, and then I just called it that. But they were walking into this licentious teaching about, you know, Jesus doesn't care, and they were, you know, it was... It wasn't cool. It was really, really twisted and ugly. And um, while not all of them were like living ridiculous lifestyles, I I was hearing some of them say things like one of them who's who I love dearly uh, and was a worship did did worship with me for years and and whatever and we were going to do this worship thing and I was planning songs and I was like. I was doing a bunch of songs that were just talking about how about Jesus and we were going to sing about Jesus. I want to sing about Jesus. And this young lady said to me, you know, I'm not really interested in singing about Jesus. I, I, I'm more interested in singing about what he did for us. And that was just like, oh, you know, ding, 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 ding. This is exactly, exactly the problem with this movement because it's all about what Jesus did for us and has nothing to do with Jesus. And I had been, I was praying for them and I was saying, Lord, because these people were people of real passion of real love for Jesus. And they were going weird places. And I'm just like, Lord, how does this even happen? Two years ago, I was saying, man, they love Jesus like more than I do. And that's, I'm, I was like looking up to these guys and now they're off on this weird place. And I was just like, how does this happen, Lord? And the Lord showed me this picture of this big round table. Okay? And Jesus himself was standing in the center of the table. And out from him were all these wedges. Okay? So that it was like a big pie almost, but it was a table. And on each wedge, like imagine like, you know, a circle with lines going across it like, you know, like that. And and on the... And Jesus was at the place where all the lines across the circle met. And on each wedge that was coming out from Jesus was uh, the name of some aspect of Jesus' character and nature. Okay. So uh, one of them said, uh, like, justice. One of them said, and then the one next to it said, like, uh, you know, uh, righteousness. And another one said like healing and another one said, you know, okay. So, and it was like that all the way around. So these were all, these were all parts of, of Jesus personality, right? All the things on this table. And I was seated at one side of the table and Jesus kind of pointed at the one that was closest to me and the wedge that was right here said grace on it. 
And I was like, awesome, you know, great. And he said, now, I want you to look past me at the wedge on the other side of me, the opposite side of the table from you. And he said, how much, he said, the, the wedge you're seated at and, the, and this wedge behind me is the same, they are the same size. But where you're sitting, which this one looks a lot bigger than that one, doesn't it? And I was like, absolutely. In fact, I can barely even read that one. I can't even really see it. I can see this one, and I can see the ones all close to it, but I can't really even see that one over there. And Jesus said, that's the problem. He said, this group of people are focusing on one piece of who I am and not on me. Because if you're standing in the center where Jesus is, then all of those pieces of him look look the same size. They all have equal value and importance. But if I'm standing on one end of the table and focusing primarily on one piece of who Jesus is, boy, that looks a lot bigger than the rest of them. Does that make sense? And so to the point where if I put my face so close to it, the only thing I can see is grace. And I can't see anything else. And therefore my, my... understanding of all the other parts of who Jesus is is warped or even removed because I have tunnel vision on this one wedge. Does that make sense? And that really helped me. He said, that's what they're doing. They have focused on this one little piece right here and they've forgotten that that's not who I am, that I am all of these. Is everybody awake in the room? That's why Jude says, they have turned the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's like they're worshiping grace and they're not worshiping Jesus. Verse five. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all that the Lord, after saving people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. I'm going to back up because there was something else I wanted. (coughs) I thought it was interesting in verse three that he says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Hmm. In other words, the gospel was given to the church and it doesn't change. How that gospel is expressed may change, must change as culture changes, but the gospel itself does not change. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. How is everybody doing right now? Any questions? Any thoughts? Do I need to make you all get up and do some jumping jacks? Then, you know, bring some life to this discussion, folks. Come on. You're scaring me right now. Yeah. So to, to study out, to stand in the middle where Jesus is, to, to focus on all of them, uh, what would be the best way to go about that? Because, I mean, I'm sure the answer is pretty simple. But, like, I've grown up, with the which I'm starting to hate that saying I I've grown up but like I've I've grown up with the idea that Jesus died for us mm. and that was the main thing yeah 
And there was a whole bunch of stuff that played into that, but the main thing is that he died for us to make the way. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've grown up believing that was the main part of that. Yeah. I have not ever even thought that there's so much more to, you know, other than that, other than the miracles that he did and stuff like that. But it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. So what would be the way to go to really look into that, to be able to stand <coughs> Get to know Jesus really, really well. That's it. Um, we're starting a sermon series at Fremont Community on Sunday, which is based on a book that was written back in the 70s by a guy named Gail Irwin, who is a hoot to listen to, by the way, if you ever... Uh, he's, he's goofy and really funny and whatever. But he wrote a book called The Jesus Style. And it's all about what is Jesus like? What's Jesus like? And uh, I heard him teach on this years ago. And at the time, it impacted me. In fact, I remember hearing him say, um, I remember hearing him say something like, now this might be a little bit of heresy I'm about to speak here, but I think it's probably a good idea not to believe in any theology that doesn't fit with the character and the nature of Jesus. And I was just like, at the time, I was like, oh, that makes sense, and then just kept moving. Well, I had no idea that much later on, my entire way of thinking about God and about me and about everything would be radically undone by that simple thought. That if I'm, that, that, that Jesus is, is, is everything, and that God's exactly like Jesus... And so any thought I have about God had better look like Jesus or else it's wrong. And that has been the purifying fire of my theology the last couple of years. As God has brought like disparate pieces of the, of the things that I think about him and brought it to the fire of does this look like Jesus or not? And, like thrown it in and like some of it comes out okay, but the rest of it's like gone. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? Right? Because I have to rethink everything. Like anyway. And it's been really, really, it's been a, a death of sorts. Oh, here's old ideas. Here's old ideas I had about God that can, I can no longer have, old ideas I had about Christianity I can no longer have, <clears throat> old ideas I had about whatever that I can no longer have, and I, so I have to let those burn away in this idea that this is that God's just like Jesus. And that's, that's why I was after, after that service that night, and <laughs> the word he gave me, looking into it, because I, I studied, reading into it, you know, in the Bible and everything like that, and, you know, that's what I'm trying to work on <laughs> specifically, so that helps. Uh, <laughs> and John, like the the last chapters of the book of John, and are are all about they're all about Jesus' last few things that he said to his disciples. And one of the things that he says in his high priestly prayer in John 17 is, "I have manifested your name to them. I've shown you, Father, what they're what I've shown." them, Father, exactly what you're like. And it kind of woke me up because Jesus is saying that as if that was the whole reason he came. So and I really think, guess what? It probably is the whole reason he came. 
because then we get to the book of Hebrews and it says, you know, all along God's been talking to us through prophets, through kings, through whatever, but in these days he has spoken to us through his son. And this revelation of God that comes through Jesus is like meeting someone in person that you've only seen their shadow before now. And so there's a whole lot of things that you might have inferred from the shadow that when you meet someone in person, you realize, oh, well, I was wrong about that. And Jesus was constantly doing that too. He was saying things like, You've heard it said, and then he'll quote the Old Testament, and he'll, but then he'll, and then he'll say, but I say to you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you saying that that verse, what, what am I supposed to do with the, with that verse now? It's like, that that verse showed you part of me, but not all of me. Because literally, a couple of verses after he says, like, basically, like, nothing can be unwritten. Yeah. So, like, part just can. Jesus doesn't want to throw away the Old Testament. He preached the Old Testament, and he said the Old Testament will stay, will remain. So it's not that Jesus was saying the Old Testament wasn't inspired. He was, but he was saying, you're only going to get a partial picture of me from the Old Testament. The full picture is standing in front of you. That's pretty hardcore, right? I was never taught that. I thought that, you know, Leviticus was just as important as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but apparently that's not true. I mean, Jesus seems to say it wasn't true. Not that it's not important, it's just not as important. I might be dabbling in a little bit of Heresy right there too, but I'm, <laughs> it's nothing new. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> but I've been trying to work on this and comprehend it for myself uh, because I don't allow myself to do this all the time because I honestly just forget to do it. Um, what does it mean? Like I remember people bringing up and you saying like just rest. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that look like to just... That's a great question. Really is. Because the truth is, me, I have a really bad active definition of rest. What I say by that, what I mean by that is, I... I I know because the Lord has begun to show me what rest really looks like. But when I need rest, that's not what I do. Does that make sense? Okay. Sleep is fine. Sleep is good. Sleep is fine. But me, when I need a day off or I need rest, I'm probably going to go watch television or play a video game or... You know what I mean? And that's not rest. In fact, the truth is, if I do that all day, I'm going to get, I'm going to, by the end of however long I spend doing that, I'm not going to feel rested at all. In fact, I'm going to feel dull. I'm going to feel gross. I'm not going to feel good. Even if I didn't watch anything that I shouldn't watch. Even if I'm watching like sermons all day, that's still not rest. 
Rest. This is what the Lord told me. I don't have a whole lot of scripture for it, but here we go. (laughs) (laughs) We need to understand this rest is relational. Okay? The rest is engaging with those who refresh our core values. Who bring us back to ourselves? Rest is engaged, and that includes the Lord. Obviously, the Lord's number one on that list. You also can think of friends. You can think of, you know, mentors, etc. Rest is relational. Rest isn't something we should do by ourselves. Other than sleep, that's fine. <laughs> sleep is good. Sleep is sleep is God given, and we should sleep. You need to sleep. You need to sleep a healthy amount. Now, not an unhealthy amount. Too little or too much is unhealthy. But a healthy amount of sleep is absolutely good. But then rest is about not working, but not working in the presence of and in engagement with people that refresh your core values including the Lord. There is also a place in rest for solitude and silence. Solitude and silence are very good for the human soul. Even though most humans are very bad at doing it. Solitude and silence requires you to leave your phone at home or turned off. Solitude and silence requires no one else be around. Let your mind run. It's going to scare the crap out of you the first couple times you try it really well because we're not good at being silent. But I would challenge you to fast speech. Spend a day or a week without speaking. And see what it does to you. Start small, just take two hours. No music. No music. Solitude and silence. Now it is hard to do in the wintertime because you can't. Okay, for me, solitude and silence. When I'm really practicing solitude and silence, I I have to go out into nature and just sit and just be present. What you will find, the moment you let yourself be present, you'll find the Holy Spirit all around you. So let's just take, we're going to take five minutes. 
It's going to be so much fun, and it's going to be <laughs> so hard, okay? But let's do it. Let's, uh... Hey, Siri, set a timer for five minutes. I did. I did. I found it deeply refreshing. I always do. I think you should practice silence on a regular basis. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. In fact, a lot of people, when they practice silence, will have a pad and paper with them, not just to write down what the Lord is saying, but to write down stuff that pops into their head, like, oh, I need to remember to do that, or oh, I need to, you know, because that's what our brain does. It fills the silence with reminders. Um, and so writing that down will just kind of take it out of your head, put it on paper. You don't have to think about it anymore. Does that make sense? Then they have one you pray. When you're like, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to do that. Yes. I love silence and solitude. It is so deeply refreshing to me. Um, yeah, it's great. Anyway, so that is definitely something I would recommend. So rest has those two pieces to it. There's the relational piece where I'm connecting deeply with people that bring peace to me, that refresh my value system. Somebody that it's not difficult to spend time with. And then also I'm spending time with, I'm just spending time in silence. Yeah. How many of you sense just the presence of God just surrounding you during that time? I did. I did. I really did. I that's, it's in those moments when we become aware of the presence of God, which is always surrounding us, that we rarely are paying attention to. Because God is always everywhere, and God is always inside of you. That's really good news to me. All right, verse 5. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all these things once for all, that the Lord... After saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds until darkness, under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as, the, as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed the devil, and we're going to stop at verse 7 because that's a whole other ball of wax. Jude is a fascinating and difficult book. It really, truly is. All right, so what the heck is he talking about? Now we're gonna, he, he comes to a point later on, but he is listing people who have undergone the judgment of God. And he is saying to them, you can have your fun right now, running around, living out licentiousness, but it's going to end in your destruction because that's what happens when people live in licentiousness. Licentiousness leads to destruction. And it isn't that God's ticked off and he's going to get you. It's just that that's what happens when you run after things, when you give your life to things that are death. 
If you keep playing Russian roulette, eventually you're going to shoot yourself in the head. That's what he's trying to say. And this is what happens when people live out licentious behavior. Okay? Destruction comes as a natural consequence of foolish living. Just not what you were saved for. Has not, it's, this isn't even about whether or not God's going to forgive you. This is just about your being an idiot. You're running towards destruction. Stop it. If you're having sex with everything that moves, you're eventually, I'm just come on, think about it for a minute, okay? You're eventually going to get a sexually transmitted disease. You're eventually going to, you know, not to mention the fact that sex outside of covenantal love is damaging to the human soul. You've got to understand that. Sex was created for marriage. By the way, it's not the other way around. Marriage was not created for sex. A lot of people like to think it was. It's not how it works. No, sex was created for marriage. It is, it is something that belongs in only that relationship. It is, what is one of the many things that makes the marriage relationship unique. Okay? This is the only person that I have sex with. That is a thing. That's, 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 that, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uniqueness, but that's not the word I'm thinking of. Exclusivity. Yes, thank you very much. That exclusivity marks out marriage as a different kind of relationship than any other. Because we're not just sharing thoughts, ideas, and feelings. We're sharing our bodies with each other. And when you cheapen that and use it for a million other things that it's not meant to be used for, you are damaging yourself. You're stealing from yourself. I know people are like, it's not a big deal. It's just sex. You don't understand sex. It's far too powerful to be put in the hands of a child. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But, he, but he's listing off people. He lists off the, those that came out of the land of Egypt but did not believe. He lists off the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. Who is that? This is where we're going to start talking about the Nephilim. Okay? Because there's this story in Genesis chapter 6 about angelic beings. Okay? The word that's used is the sons of God. Now, are, they, are we talking about the same kind of thing as Jesus? No, we are not. We are talking about supernatural beings that exist, that existed prior to the creation of the earth. We don't know their origin. We know God created them. But they exist in relationship with God on some level because it talks about the counsel of these supernatural beings. The Bible calls them Elohim several times, okay? Now, that is one of the names of God, but the word means the mighty ones, okay? It simply means they're more powerful and more, more long-lasting and substantial than human beings. That's the idea. In fact, human beings are often called Elohim as well, and Jesus says the same thing. Jesus quotes that verse and throws everybody into a tizzy, and the faith movement's like, we are gods, we are gods. Oh, shut up. Okay, anyway. 
<laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. So anyway, we're just going to... We need to understand that just beyond our field of vision, okay, in the invisible realm, are whole millions upon millions of beings. They're intelligent. They're eternal. They're powerful. Some of them are good and followers of God and his laws and his rules, and some of them are not. Okay, some of them are not. Some of them are what we would call demonic, but let's not automatically assume. Oh, we think of fallen angels, okay? And there is such a thing as a fallen angel, all right? But angel is a broad category. It's like mammal. Okay? The Bible speaks of multiple species of angel that we know of. There's the archangels. There's the seraphim, the burning ones, which seem to be the same creatures as the ones in Revelation 4 that have the weird four faces and eyes everywhere, and they're always saying, holy, 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 but we don't know. The reality is there are so many other creatures out there that God created that exist, that have power and authority, and we have no idea. And the Bible talks to them about it as, as, as uh, uh, authorities and powers and, you know, the, you know, things in heavenly places. We don't know. The point is we don't know, folks. We don't know. And the Bible doesn't really feel like, it seems to me like the Bible is not really concerned with telling us about them either. The Bible does not talk very much about Satan at all. It says that he exists, but it also kind of refers to him in such a way that the word Satan or the name Satan could just be the name that he's putting on any evil force that's acting against God itself. So, you know, it may not be that Satan is actually one specific demonic being. It may be that Satan is just the name he puts on every, on all of them, such as, okay, such as when he refers to all of Israel as Israel. You know, Israel was a person's name. Okay, am I blowing your mind a little bit? By the way, the name Lucifer is only mentioned once in Scripture. It obviously refers to one of these creatures, but we don't know that he's like the king of the demons. All of that stuff, all of that stuff is stuff we made up. I know, right? Did I totally blow your mind right now? All of that stuff we're just inferring from places that we're just guessing about, that we think, oh, Lucifer must be in charge of it. Actually, we have no reason to believe that from Scripture. None. And there is this, suppose that there is this, like, dragon that the book of Revelation talks about, but who even knows what the heck that means? He swept a third of the stars from the heavens. We don't even know what that is. I mean, it's so amorphous, but we have created this story out of this picture, which seems to say to us that, and, and we're like, well, that's obviously the devil himself who has made all of these angels fall. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that at all. There's no, it's not in there. Go find it. If you, if, if you disagree with me, go find it. It's not there. We have a couple verses which we have taken to be about, you know, this entity that we refer to as Satan or Lucifer or the devil. We have, 
Most of them were prophecies made toward a human king that we have then interpreted as prophecies toward the spirit behind the human king and not towards the human king himself. But we don't know that that's what's going on. It's a guess. And Jude's actually going to go into this a little bit more. But the, the, we actually know more about these creatures, the Nephilim, than we do about Satan and some of these other, okay? And nobody knows about the Nephilim, okay? So the story is that there were these, these supernatural beings, okay, that at some point decided that human women were pretty hot. So they took them as wives. And they bore children by them, okay? And the ch- and those children of these of this union were semi supernatural, half human, half something else. Okay, yes. Okay, yeah. All I mean, look back and 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 at all of the stories of every culture in the world has stories of half human, half god, small g. Okay, all of them. This is what we're talking about, folks. All right, now you're going to hear talk about how Nephilim were giants. Some of them were. Some of them were. Goliath himself was a direct descendant of one of these mixed, one of these mixed bread folks. Okay. I don't know what to call them. I don't know what to call them because, well, because Nephilim, the, Nephilim are the children of these these supernatural beings and human women that's what they are that's what nephilim are okay and there's they come up several places by the way this is one of the you know there's only a couple places in the bible where god says go and kill everybody that's there and in every case there were nephilim there and God was eradicating a a broken human a human line that had Nephilim blood, including we get this clue in here that maybe in Sodom and Gomorrah they were doing the same thing because it says they went after strange flesh, which is the way that it's described. So maybe even in Sodom and Gomorrah there was some some sexual congress going on between angelic beings, or I hate to call them angelic beings, but supernatural beings and humans, and that that was... It seems to happen when a culture is at its most foul, like at the height of its worst disgustingness, that a couple things happen. Homosexuality becomes a big deal. Uh, uh, Sex with everything, animals, children, whatever, becomes a big deal. And eventually, somewhere in there, people start having sex with supernatural beings. And children are born. Now, I'm going to put down my biblical hat for just a moment. Okay? Because there is a phenomenon that happens right now. and has been happening for several decades on the earth at this moment that sounds an awful lot like Genesis chapter 6. 
and I am referring to alien abduction. Okay? Have you heard about alien abduction? Okay? People say, people say, now listen, I'm not saying this is Bible, I just want to throw this out there. Okay? I just want to throw this out there because this is a wild and crazy idea. But if you read Genesis 6, it literally says the sons of God came down and took human women and impregnated them. And they were so that sounds to me like. the. Oh it's, it's, all right. Now, just wait. Just wait. I'm not saying this is truth because I don't know. But we don't know. I don't know. But. Every time a culture reaches this level of immorality, the level of immorality which we experience every single day, every time in biblical history that a culture reaches that level of immorality, all of a sudden there's people having sex with demons. Okay? And one of the things that happens in a lot of these alien abduction situations is there are women who are impregnated by these aliens. And then... They say that, that the baby gets taken before it's born. Okay, they, they impregnate her and they come back before it's time for the baby to be born and they take the baby away and then whatever. They might be completely lying. They might be crazy. They might be on a ton, a ton of drugs. But here's the deal. I don't... But, okay, there's a whole lot of people who have, like found metal objects underneath their skin after these things and pulled them out and they still have them to show you, okay? There's a lot of people who have scars, like weird scars on their bodies uh, after they have one of these en encounters. There's a whole lot of people who, there's been other people that have been watching when the aliens took them out of their house and up into the thing, okay? This is, I'm just saying. I know, right? You're just like, what is happening right now? Okay. Something is going on, and I don't believe that it's aliens from another planet. I just, I, I don't believe that. But I do know of extraterrestrial beings that the Bible says exists. That also there are hints throughout Scripture that in the end times, there will be a whole new level of, uh, of demonic worship and cooperation with the demonic that, that is beyond anything human has ever humanity has ever done before. Biblically, we have very good reason to believe that the flood itself happened because of the Nephilim. That there was so much of that going on that God had to wipe out most of the human race except for Noah and his family. And the Bible says Noah was perfect in all his generations. means that he was 100% human. Okay, now, oh man, do not go read the book of Enoch. I'm begging you, do not. It's on the app store. It's everywhere. What? <laughs> Jude, and he's not done, quotes the book of Enoch multiple times. Angels that left their first estate, that's a direct quote from the book of Enoch. And there are further quotes from the book of Enoch in this book. But that does not mean that it is an inspired book, please. And even if it was, we don't know that we have the original book of Enoch. We just have a book 
Now it's probably likely that we have the same book that he, that Jude was reading because the book we have came from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is older than the book of Jude. Okay? So we probably do. But there's multiple books of Enoch too. There's like book one, book two, book three, book four, and there's a lot of guesses as to which Enoch, because there's two Enochs as well. There was Enoch, the son of Seth, and there was an Enoch that was born of Cain. Are you guys having fun right now? Yeah. I'm having so much fun right now. Okay. All right. Biblical hat back on. All right. We're done talking about aliens and alien abduction. If you want to know more about this stuff, just search it up on YouTube. There is so much crap out there. Don't believe anything that you hear. Anything. Because if you do, you're going to end up a flat earther. I'm just telling you. But Josh, it makes sense. You're going to end up a flat earther, and it's just a bad idea. Just stay away. Because the same people that love to talk about the Book of Enoch and love to talk about the Nephilim also love to talk about the flat earth. So we're just going to just keep moving. All right. All right. What? Because of like all like the situations where like you explain like how it shows like in like future Everything that Jesus said were birth were warning signs of the end. We've got them all. Right That's now. what I'm saying. So is that why like pastors are like now preaching? Absolutely, but pastors have been preaching that for two thousand years, honestly. So <laughs> we may still have five thousand years left before. And just, Jesus said the end was near, and that was 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Peter stood up and said, in these last days, God will pour out his spirit. That was 2,000 years ago. So uh, I, I wouldn't, just be ready, okay? Be ready. Be ready. And if somebody, if, if they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, get even really a lot more ready, okay? And, and if somebody walks into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and sacrifices a pig and sets up an idol of himself inside the new the temple in Jerusalem, then be really, 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 really ready. What? Anyway, let's keep moving. <laughs> yes. And I saw one yeah. time, like, there was, like, this, this billboard over the highway, and it said, Jesus is returning on this date. Be ready. Yes. You know those, like, those, like, yeah. guarantee stamps? It, I, God is yeah. my witness. Homeboy put yep. on there. The Bible guarantees it and stamped it yep. on there, and that yep. was, like, four years ago. Yep. And it didn't happen. And guess what? The sooner when it didn't happen, he said, "Oh, I miscalculated." Exactly. You know, these guys, these guys were these these guys were like selling their houses and doing all this other stuff, you know, because Jesus is coming. Why do we? And there's been multiple. There have been. I'm serious. There have been multiple times in Christian history where where people have been doing that. Okay. And, okay, I'm going to say something right now that is going to once again show me as a heretic, but I'm going to say it anyway because that's my lot in life, all right? The whole idea of a pre-tribulation rapture was not something anyone in the church believed until roughly 150 years ago when one of these groups who knew the date that Jesus was going to be coming started teaching 
that Jesus would come before the tribulation. That was the those were the first people that started talking about pre-tribulation. Okay. Those were the first people. And and then it made its way into the liner notes of the Schofield Bible. And from there, it went everywhere. And that's why so many people believe in a pre-tribulation rapture now. But it is not a traditional belief of the church. It is less than 200 years old. And the people that came up with it, it came from the dream of a 13-year-old girl. Emphasis on girl. I'm just saying, no, the emphasis was on 13. Okay? There's this little girl with no biblical whatever. She had a dream that Jesus was coming before the, before the tribulation. She told her pastor, he said, that sounds about right. And then they started to build a, they started to build a theology. They, they took that idea and they went back into scripture and said, well, hey, that match, that looks like this might be in the new. And they started twisting stuff and making stuff, whatever. And it's not in the Bible, but but anyway, we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> on my certification, like when we were, when I had to memorize all the stuff in order, I actually memorized that one backwards. So I put the judgment before, like the kind of stuff. I was like, and then I went Oops. back to make sure I was studying right and it was wrong. You were wrong. There's How no dare way. you? Well, that was at my ordination interview. Oh yeah, that's why I was like. They said, all right, it was Chad McAtee and Becky Adams and somebody else. And, and they were like, okay, is there anything, you, you know, the, you, 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 know, you aced your, your test on AG, theology and polity. So we need to know, is there anything you disagree with? And I said, really only one thing. And they're like, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, honestly, it's, um, I, I don't believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation. And Pastor Chad, who I love so much, we're good friends. He was like, well, where do you get that? I said, the Bible. <laughs> I was being such a snot, and I felt so bad later. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so I started pulling up scriptures and saying, look, the, I mean, how can this be true? How can this scripture be true if the rapture is going to happen before the whatever? And then I looked at it, and he goes, okay, next question. <laughs> 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 so he's like, we don't have time for a theological debate here. I think he also knew he'd lose. Um, <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> and then a couple months later, they asked me to teach the eschatology class for ISOM. So strange. <laughs> I have the last two years, and it's really fun. Ooh, that reminds me. I need to work on that. Yeah, I'm just not going to dispute anything. They're going to be like, do you disagree with me? No, I'm good. No, I'm good. <laughs> I had to renew my, my credentials here in January, and, or in December, and I read through it again, through the 16 fundamental truths, and I was like, all right, we're still okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Mostly yes, yes, yes. Yes, but not the way you mean it. But that doesn't. It's not what it says. So we're still good. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so. Oh man. Yet, in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he 
disputed with with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay. I know, I know. Just relax. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. Okay. This whole section... You have to know some Jewish apocrypha to understand what the heck he is talking about. Because some of this comes from Enoch and some of this comes from the book of Jubilees. You guys have never read them. They're not in the Bible, but Jude talks about them. And, and, and he's, he's saying, listen, <laughs> there, was, there was this practice among this church that he's talking to where they would, they would like say really, they would, speak against angelic majesty. So they would talk about angels and demons and they would they would say things about them. We don't really know what all was involved there, but apparently they were, this was a big part of their faith and practice at this time. And I actually think some of this, we need to be careful when we're involved in spiritual warfare that we don't cross this line. Okay, because they realized they had authority over demonic powers because they see in Jesus cast out demons and they were casting out demons and that's fine. Yes, we have authority, but don't screw around with them, please. You do not understand them. And that's what Jude is saying. Dude, Michael the archangel was toe to toe with a, 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 you know, most people would tell you it's Satan, but we don't really know. It's from the book of Jubilees and it's some, there's this other creature, Lucifer, whatever, this, 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 demonic thing, and they were fighting with each other over the body of Moses. Now, did this actually happen? The, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the stinking Bible. It's in the book of Jubilees, which is an apocryphal book, which is not one that we consider to be uh, to be inspired, okay? It is interesting, really interesting, but it's not the one we consider, to, but we don't consider it to be inspired, okay? And his point wasn't that. He was just referencing a story everybody knew. Everybody knew this story, that Michael and the devil were fighting over Moses' body. Okay? Moses was buried on Mount Nebo where God took him up to look over at the promised land. And Michael and the devil were fighting over Moses' body. And Michael, in the story, does not say, I rebuke you, Satan. He says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And Jude is saying, guys, if Michael the archangel can't say, I rebuke you, Satan, then I don't think you can either. So please be careful. And don't speak to these, these supernatural beings as if you understood them or understood what's going on with them. And so I want to encourage you. You're going to encounter the supernatural, okay? Angels and demons exist. Maybe you'll see an angel. Maybe you'll see demons. I've at different times been made aware of both. I've never seen them with my eyes, but at different times I've been made aware of both angels and demons. And, uh, and, and please listen to the Holy spirit and don't do anything on your own. Do not get a big head. Not do not get a big head and be like Satan. You just don't even know what's coming to just. <laughs> Relax. Do not t try and take on Spiritual forces yourself. Okay, you don't know what's going on. You don't know how powerful they are. You don't know what authority they have, and you have just relax. Talk to Jesus. Respond to the Holy Spirit. When the only time Jesus spoke directly to a demon was when it had already spoken directly to him. 
You never see Jesus standing up and saying, I rebuke the spirit of... That never happens. Did you ever see it happen in the Gospels? No. No. So why do we think we get to do that? Now, if the Holy Spirit is telling you, rebuke the spirit of whatever, you should probably do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But please be careful. Okay? Are you with me? That's what Jude's trying to say. Guys, you're being dumb. Okay? <laughs> Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. And when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. In other words... People that want to get you off on these crazy things over here, let's talk about the Nephilim for three hours and never even mention Jesus. People that want to talk to you about, you know, these wild ideas about spiritual warfare and how we need to rebuke, like, the, the demon over the state of Indiana, that kind of stuff. Like, guys, can we stick to the main and the plain? Let's just talk about Jesus. Can we do that? Because the reality is the way that you resist the devil is by following Jesus. The way that you resist the devil is by giving your whole life to the Lord and watch the devil squirm when you're being kind to someone even though they've been mean to you. That is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is being like Jesus in a world that's not like Jesus. Are you with me? Okay. All right, he talks about the way of Cain. You guys remember Cain? Right? Um, for they rush headlong into the... Uh, <laughs> they've, the, the way of Cain. There's so much to say. Because Cain did a lot more in, in the, the Jewish Apocrypha than, than, uh, than he did in our Bible. But we're not going to go there. There was some Jewish Apocrypha that actually said that Cain wasn't Adam's son, that he was the son of a demon who had raped Mary, or Mary, who had raped Eve, and that Cain was born of that, and that Abel was the first son of Adam, which is directly contradictory to what the Bible says. <laughs> it says, Adam knew his wife and she bore him a son, and they called his name Cain. It doesn't say that she... Anyway, but there's this Jewish apocrypha that says that. It's fascinating. It's... Um, okay. And for the... And for Pei have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. You guys remember Balaam? Yeah. He's the guy with the donkey talked to him. Okay. He was performing magic, casting spells at the children of Israel. Thankfully, the spells just bounced right off because... God was in their midst, and they were, and they belonged to him in covenant relationship. And so all of the curses that Balaam had the power to cast had no power until they forsook the covenant relationship with God and began to have sex with women who weren't a part of the covenant relationship with God. And that gave Satan permission to come in and do the stuff that he was doing, or whoever it was, the demonic forces... 
Are you guys having fun right now? Yeah. <laughs> and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Do you remember the rebellion of Korah? The rebellion of Korah happened in the wilderness where some of Noah's relatives decided, hey, we're sons of Levi also. We ought to be able to be in charge just like Moses. And so they tried to get people to follow them. And the earth opened up and swallowed them dead. And that was the end of the rebellion of Korah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? So anyway, the point is, in all three of these situations, we have direct rebellion against God. And that's what Jude is talking about. Don't be like them. Don't rebel against God. And then he says, these men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. In other words, these are people that are in your church right now, but they're believing and doing things that are completely contrary to the nature of Jesus. And if you continue to spend time with them, you're going to crash into them at some point and it's going to be damaging to you. Okay, get them out of here. Verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch, here we go, the seventh son of Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. Let's just ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. And of all the harsh things which God, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. Now we get to some straight talk. Okay, he quotes Enoch to remind us that judgment's coming to people who are ungodly, like four times ungodly. Okay, and he says, those folks, now, everything that he's already said has been like crazy, mystical, whatever. Now he gets down to brass tacks. They're grumblers. They're finding fault. Okay, in other words, they're walking around going, You're what's wrong with this church. Okay? They're following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly. And they flatter people for the sake of gaining advantage. How many people have you met that do those things? Jude puts them in the same category as people who are doing witchcraft. Pay attention. Pay attention, because how many of us have done these things? Has anybody in here grumbled? My hand is up. You're in the same category as a man who does witchcraft. You are luring judgment towards you, and you had better be stinking careful. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after them in their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh." Wow. Okay. So here's what he's saying. Um, He's saying we shouldn't be surprised that there are people like this in the church. The apostles prophesied that there would be people like this in the church. It's going to be okay. Just don't do what they do. Don't cause division. 
Don't be worldly-minded. Don't be devoid of the Spirit. But building yourselves up in your, in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So you want to build yourself up in your faith? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Instead of being devoid of the Spirit, we're going to pray in the Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This whole book has been worth it just for that line right there. Remember earlier, he said that you were kept. Now he's saying, now keep yourselves. Stay in God's love. God's love for you, your love for God, God's love for the others around you, and your love for them. Stay in the love of God. Do you want to not be any of the things that we've talked about up till now? This is how you do it. Pray in the Spirit. Stay in the love of God. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is coming. Hang on. And have mercy on some who are doubting. So when you see people who are struggling, have mercy on them. But be careful. It says, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So in other words, have mercy on people. But if they continue to stay in their pattern of sin, you got to let them go. Let the door be open, but they don't get to come in here and continue in their pattern of sin. Does that make sense? Have mercy on them, but be careful. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, thank you, Jesus, and to make you stand in the presence of his holy glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. And amen. Any questions? We just went through an entire book of the Bible, folks. You should be proud. <laughs> wow, that's really never happened. Like and we even had some good tangents. <laughs> we did. We talked about alien abduction. Right? That was wild. <laughs> we did good today. <laughs> Any questions? Anybody? Yeah. So you're on the topic of, you know, authorities, you know, having spiritual authority over things. Yeah. Um, before I came here, Masters, he still kind of he still is, but the the guy who discipled me, um, that's one of his big things: his authority over you know, authority over all things, you know, within reason. You know what I mean? Yep. <clears throat> Could you like? I know you said that you know a big part of Jude is essentially him rebuking the church for not taking spiritual warfare seriously. Right. Um, what is that? you know, look like for us as people who are, you know, spirit-filled believers who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know, not, not that that's a requirement, but, you know, what does that look it like It is a requirement, bless God. Where does that authority begin and end? It's Jesus' authority. It's not ours. It's his. And he lets, we are his ambassadors, so we wield it, but it's his authority. And we just need to live in humility. That it's the cross of Jesus Christ that defeated our enemy. And anytime we kind of, you know, get... This is what... Whenever I look... See, I've been a part of lots of, like, deliverance and inner healing ministry over the years. Okay? I think it's vitally necessary. In fact, I just spent last Sunday, two days ago, introducing 
uh, our new deliverance and inner healing ministry to yeah. our church uh, and telling them they should be involved with them because I believe with, in it with all my heart. I think it's something God uses powerfully. Yeah. However, there, it, it, there is a tendency among people who operate in these gifts. And you see it even in the Gospels where they come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, even the demons respond to us in your name. And Jesus is like, whoa, <laughs> rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay? Don't rejoice that you have authority over demons. That's exciting. I get it. Makes sense. But it's not nearly as exciting as the fact that you belong to me. <laughs> okay? So let's keep our focus where it belongs. Yes. Are we going to cast out demons? We absolutely should. Are we going to heal the sick? Absolutely. But again, it's like that piece of a pie we talked about. When we get too focused on this, like the benefits of Jesus, and get our eyes off of Jesus, then we have made a huge mistake. A huge mistake. And I see it all the time where people get involved in deliverance ministry, and then it's like, that's all they ever do. They never talk to unsaved people and get them saved. That never happens. They're just looking for demons around every corner. And I'm just like, oh, come on. This is not, please, yeah. <laughs> let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on becoming like him. Yeah, I've met people who spend a lot of time casting out demons who are pretty demonic themselves. You know, they spend they may spend half of their prayer, Satan, I rebuke you, you know, and, 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 but then they're a jerk when you talk to them in person. Well, guess what? You have no authority to rebuke Satan because you agree with him. Okay. The primary way we resist, I'll say this again. The primary way we resist the forces of darkness is by being light. Is by reflecting the character and nature of Jesus into the world. And then if a moment arises where we're being openly confronted by a demonic force, we deal with it. And Jesus taught us how to do that. But he never did that unless he was openly confronted by it. And most of the time, he would immediately say, shut up. <coughs> He didn't make it into a big dramatic thing. You know, there's whole churches, whole denominations, which spend most of their, most of their services casting demons out of Christians that don't have any demons in them. Okay. They have, you know, and, and that's like what they're known for is, well, we're going to cast the demon. We're going to do deliverance, whatever. There's people puking in buckets and, you know, they have buckets at the altars because people are going to come up and throw up and that's what happens. I'm not kidding. That really, that's a real thing. That happens. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. But, but do you hear them talk about being kind to your neighbor like once? No. But we're going to cast the spirit of rudeness out of you. Oh, give me a break. Why don't you invite the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of kindness into you instead? This is my issue because whenever we focus too much on any of these you know, the, the reason people like him is because it's sensational and it's splashy and it's exciting and it's fun it's to be like, Satan, I rebuke you. That, it's it's to stir ourselves in that way. But that is not what Jesus, it's not how Jesus teaches us to be. That's not what the, and, and I, I used to say this to my youth kids all the time, especially because every like six months or so, this like wave of like, I'm seeing angels or there's demons everywhere would come through the youth group. This would just happen. Okay. We're a, bunch, like, we're a group of 
kids in my youth group because we believed in the supernatural and we talked about it and we saw miracles and we saw crazy services where people were laying all over the floor and twitching, you know, whatever. And that's fine. That happens. It's great. But that's not the point. And I used to tell my youth kids this. The devil loves drama. Let's not give it to him. Okay? I remember once when when Revive Indiana was here and there was this whole group of kids that had seen some healings out on the streets and they were totally excited about it. And then there was like demonic stuff that was, and, and, and they were, they came to me, Pastor Josh, there's a demon. And I was like, no, there probably isn't, but let's go look. And we go to, you know, we walk over there and there's this kid's like, Arr. I was like, just stop it. Stop it. You're not, de- you're not demon possessed. What? You're not. Just quit. <laughs> oh, okay. And the kids are like, you, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, he just wants attention. Let's just keep moving. Dang. Dang. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you gotta have the minute I walked in there, I, I I the Holy Spirit's like, you know. Uh it's like all there is in this room is a teenager that wants attention. And I was just like, quit it. Quit it. Quit growling. You're not demon possessed. Go on, go to church. Just because? Yes! <laughs> I was like, oh, stop it. All right, you guys got to get to Pastor's Prayer like right now. I don't want you to be late. All right. I love you all. God bless you. Have a great day.